Thursday. Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. If you're unfamiliar with any of these products, don't hesitate to give them a call. 405-458-9699. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals, and I can tell you their staff is absolutely dedicated to helping you live a better life. So don't hesitate to give them a call if you have a question whatsoever. Also, we're saving you 15% off right now on your online order, abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code Colby Show at checkout for 15% off. Easy and safe pickup. They have a drive through So again, it's it's very efficient. Order online, save 15%, and you can pick it up through their drive through Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. All right, we have a long conversation today, so we'll jump straight into it with Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Eric G, happy Thursday. What's happening? Happy Thursday to you, man. Glad you've got power and TV and, <laughs> and, and water back. When we were talking off the air, I've got a friend in Texas who um, he's been without power and water for the best for the better part of this week. And apparently power came on last night. And he told me, he's like, I'm just going to get in the shower. I'm going to get ready while the power's on, do everything I can for work today, and just expect the power to go off because that's the cycle. Kendrick Perkins, pipe busting all over the place. It's been it's been an absolute I mess is mess doesn't even even cover what what it's been for people over these over these last few days. I've been fortunate we haven't lost power, haven't lost water, but it just it always just feels like a matter of time before all that's going to go that way. Pipes are going to bust. House are going to get destroyed. But I'm just hoping everybody's doing well because it's 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 scary. It's and we're not prepped for this in this area of the country. We're not Minnesota. We're not Wisconsin. We don't deal well with this kind of weather. Yeah, we lost it Friday. It was in and out most of Friday, and so I didn't do a show Friday. Uh, lost it again on Monday. Crazy enough, we did. We had no issues on Saturday or Sunday over the weekend. But lost it again on Monday, lost it on Tuesday, uh, finally got it back on Tuesday. But when it came back on, we discovered that we had no cocks. Uh, <laughs> so the internet and television were out until yesterday afternoon. So finally we're up and oh running. Oh my gosh. But uh, yeah, like it's, uh, it's kind of just been either or. And, and now we ha- we're 100%. We didn't have any pipes freeze, which is the good thing. I talked to my dad yesterday who's in Texas. And while they didn't lose electricity or cable or any of that, they had all of their pipes freeze and they've been without water for five days now. And they literally go outside every day with buckets and fill, fill up the buckets with snow and then melt it down. And if they've got to go to the bathroom, they pour the water into the toilet and go to the bathroom. Or, uh, you know, just if they've got to wash a dish, they go scoop up a bucket of snow, melt it down, and then use that to, to wash a a dish or whatever. So it's, uh, it's, it's been quite the experience down there for them. Oh, that sucks. I mean, there, there's no way to put it. Are they, are they at least safe? Are they, are they able, how are they eating food? When you've got no water, you will electricity. You can't, you're not supposed to open your fridge because things get colder. What are you do? What are you doing for meals? Well, they have, they have electricity. It's yeah. The electricity is fine. They just, all the pipes are frozen. Jeez. Yeah. Well, is, is he concerned that they're going to bust? I mean, it's been five days and they haven't yet, so uh, I think it's just kind of like a fingers crossed type thing. But yeah, insane. Jeez, just hold on and pray. 
I mean, that's like that's the only thing you can do right now yeah. uh, for, for for a lot of people. And I, the CBS was showing people in Texas who were just I mean, they they busted out all their camping equipment just to stay warm. They've got a thirteen month old kid. <laughs> yeah, that they're having to deal with. They're they're doing everything by candlelight, and they're just trying to do everything they can to keep him warm. There's no electricity. There's no water, and you're just kind of you're kind of stuck. I mean, and it's not like you can go out and live in your car and just just turn it on and let it run forever just to keep people warm either. I mean, it's I I have I have no survival skills. I'm not prepared for this. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's 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 a mess, dude. Have you ever dealt with uh, with busted with a busted pipe situation? No, thank God, no, thank God, no. Um, Every time it gets this, every time it gets even remotely close to this cold, I'm we're so paranoid. We just automatically just start turning on cold water in every faucet. So <laughs> I've been lucky enough never, never to have never to have gone from that, not, never to have had that. Have you? Have you? Have you oh, dealt yeah. with that before? Oh yeah. So okay. So how traumatic is that? Oh, it's it's bad. It's really bad. So this was probably around 2009 or 2010 ish. I was I was uh, working part time at the sports animal, actually. And there was a bad like ice storm, snowstorm, whatever you want to call it coming in. And they knew it was going to be bad. So they had Gideon Hamilton and myself like basically pack bags and sleeping bags to stay at the station for a couple days because nobody was going to be able to travel. So um, we, we basically took turns like sleeping and then doing marathon shifts on the board for like two or three days straight. So at the end of the three days, finally, the roads are, are, uh, okay enough to start traveling. They still weren't good, but, uh, you could, you know, you could at least get around a little bit. So I've been at the station for three days. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I, I, I just want to take a shower, you know, just all the, all the gross stuff. Uh, after just being in a radio station, as you can imagine, for three straight days. So I get probably about a, I don't know, maybe a mile away from my apartment, which was over in the Quail Springs Mall area. Oh, no. And I hit some ice, slide off the road into like a snowbank, and my Ooh. my car stuck. Like there was no getting it out. And I mean, it was just, I was just going to have to wait. So I end up getting out. I walk about a mile back to my house, and as I'm walking, I discover that even if I wanted to, there was I, I wasn't going to be able to pull into the, the apartment parking lot. Like, it was, uh, it was up a hill, it was ice, there was snow, like, there was just no way that you could even get a car in there. So, I was just like, okay, well, that, it is what it is. So, I get in the house, first thing I do, you know, I take a shower, I get some food, lay down on the couch, turn on the television, basically, you know, just want to relax. And I probably hadn't been home more than, I don't know, maybe an hour or two max. And all of a sudden I start hearing water just pouring. Well, apparently my upstairs neighbor had gone out of town and turned off his heat. So all of his pipes froze and busted and so I had all of the water from his pipes pouring wow. into my apartment. So I had multiple oh. spots in the roof that just, bu- I mean, you saw the Kendrick Perkins pictures. Spots in the roof that just busted open and, I mean, just water pouring in. The worst, the worst spot was in my closet. The entire 
ceiling in my closet caved in and water poured in on all my clothes and shoes and, and all of that. So uh, ah. it was it was complete chaos. The worst part is, so the water just, or the, the apartment fills up with water. So the apartment complex is like, well, we can't do anything other than, you know, we'll get a new apartment prepared for you, but it's going to take a couple days. So they end up renting me a hotel room, but I've still got to go get my car that's stuck like a mile away. And I have this mountain of clothes and shoes that's soaking wet while it's also like freezing temperatures. So I end up hauling this, like these trash bags full of wet clothes that weighed about a thousand pounds to my car so I could take it to a laundromat and dry it all. Uh, And luckily, as I was loading it into my car, some guys happened to be driving by and I'd called a tow truck to like pull my car out. But these guys happened to be driving by, see me stuck. They, they end up getting me out, but. Yeah, that the apartment was unlivable after the after the pipes broke. So they they ended up upgrading me. I got a bigger apartment for the same rent price, but it was it was a disaster, man. Like I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That is that is honestly maybe the worst story I, I have ever heard <laughs> in my life. I okay, so all right, let, let's 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 go back. Let's delve into this a little deeper here. So your reaction, what was your reaction to, when you saw the? the Okay, when the when the roof first burst, when you first saw water coming into your roof, what was your what was your initial reaction? Was it disbelief, shock? Was it what am I going to do now? Where, where was your mind in the, in that moment? I think more than any, I was so mentally fatigued from just having spent three days at the radio station without a like hot shower and decent meal, because we were basically living out of the vending machines, uh, that, I, I like, I'm just delirious. So, like, it happens, and I just see it, and I think I probably said, like, WTF, and I just stood there, like, trying to comprehend what I was seeing before finally, like, I think snapping out of it and immediately, like, moving my... I, I grabbed my mattress and box spring and bed and, like, hauled all that out of that bedroom... And then I started getting all the clothes out of that closet and anything that, that couldn't get wet out of that bedroom. Um, and that was, that was the first leak. And then another leak hit in my bathroom. Oh, geez. That was fine. I mean, it's a bathroom, you know, there's no carpet or anything like that. Yeah, but I mean, but, but think about that for a second. That, that's your toothbrush. That's your, your (laughs) razor. These are things that you put on, you know, you know, north of the neck. Yeah. That, that we want to keep as sterile as possible. And when somebody's pipe busts, I mean, that's just completely gone out the window. All right. So when it came, when it came to your clothes, so let, let's, let's go back there for a second. Your closet is completely full of water. Your, your clothes are soaked. Were there just some that you said, okay, that's it. That's sacrifice to, to the water gods. They got that one. Like how, how much of your clothes did you decide to keep and throw into garbage bags and how many and how much of it was Nah, that's just, that's done. That's, that's dead and gone because uh, it's not, it's not worth saving. I think I probably, I didn't sift through it all, but I mean, there were obviously a few items that I was just like, you know what? That's a lost cause. I, th- I would say probably 80 to 90% of it got put in, in trash bags and hauled down the road to my car. 
which is one of the wow. most miserable experiences of my life. If you and have you any have, idea you, how heavy like a bag of wet yeah. clothes would be and so carrying walk, that a mile you, to yeah. Yeah, so you walked a mile. Oh, with, yeah. with, and you're probably talking about each garbage bag probably at least 20 pounds if there's if it's soaking on oh, clothes. Oh god. You know what? 20 I there's no way it was just 20 pounds. It, it was I mean, it had it, to be way it, more than that. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, at least that. So you're carrying, all right, let, let's let's Well, in multiple trips. It, it wasn't just one trip. There's no way I could do it in one trip. So you're probably carrying about 50 pounds each <laughs> trip. How, how many trips back and forth on that mile walk? Just two. Okay, so you walk yeah. four miles. You walk four miles probably carrying over a over 100 pounds, which was probably the best workout you ever got in your life. <laughs> yeah. But... But under 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 the absolute most miserable conditions, yes, they put you up in a hotel, but at a certain point, there had to be something that kind of clicked with you about being homeless for at least a temp for a temporary amount of time. I mean, you were lucky enough to be taken care of, yeah, but there had to be a little sympathy for what what some homeless people go through. I mean, because you see a lot of them, they've got everything like I've seen people. In downtown Oklahoma City, like they've got garbage bags, they've got yeah. backpacks, they've got shopping yeah. carts full of everything they own. And one, it is that's the most heartbreaking thing you can ever see because because even you, you just wonder where exactly are they going. And if you have a heart, you wonder where they're going, where they're staying the night. There's always the thought of what you can do to help. And most of the people like that, when they've got all of their stuff in one particular place, they're not the ones asking for money. They're the ones that are just going from place to place, just, just looking to get to get to the night. Some of that had to probably sink in with you a, a little bit then. It was probably somewhat of an enlightening experience, even though it was maybe the most miserable thing you that you'd ever <laughs> yeah. gone through at the moment. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, I didn't know what was going to happen with my my living situation because it it was it wasn't immediately where they were like, "Hey, we're just going to give you another apartment." That part of it took, I think, a couple of days before they were like, "This apartment is not uh, going to be salvaged anytime soon." So uh, that you know, just not knowing necessarily what was going to happen with that part was uh, obviously not fun. But the, the worst part of it was after I called them and finally got a hold of them and told them what was happening. Like they, they're like, okay, we'll we'll get you somewhere to stay. So they booked me at this uh, this Holiday Inn. It was it's that Holiday Inn off of Memorial and Hefner Parkway. Like when you're going on that big bridge that like uh, from the like Turnpike to the uh, okay okay to the south of the, that. The one, there's that Holiday Inn right there. So that's the one they booked. Yeah, that for one me. that feels like you can reach out and touch, right? When, <laughs> yeah. when you're coming. Yeah. When you're when you're coming when you're when you're traveling east on the turnpike, it feels like you can actually reach out and touch it. Okay, yeah, yeah I know what yeah. you're talking so, about. So they booked me a, a room there, and they were like, "Obviously, we don't know how long this is going to take." So you know, you're just you're there until uh, we tell you otherwise. And the problem was though, like I knew my car was stuck, and I was like, "Okay, that's great," but I have no idea how I'm going to get there. I have to haul all these clothes. And luckily, the the the, the hotel, um, if I remember right. Either they had like a, I don't remember if they had like a laundry room there that I, I used or they just like allowed me to use their laundry. But I remember taking my laundry there and being able to dry all the laundry there. So, <laughs> like you were dead. 
were like you were in in the basement of the hotel with with the workers who who who, who you were using the same dryers they use for like the the, the bedspreads and the sheets, which we assume you know they they wash and sanitize. <laughs> yeah. We go to hotels, yeah. so you were using that, man. That is I, okay. Yeah. I, I just I I made sure to also pack every bottle of whiskey I think I had. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was a bender. And, and here's the other thing that was also the weekend of the Super Bowl. So like two days later oh, was the, I, I remember watching the Super Bowl, the Packers Steelers, Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl win in that hotel room. <laughs> and, and okay. So you packed every bottle of whiskey you on, and I know you, you don't, you, you're not me. You don't drink old granddad. You're not, you're not. I mean, look, for me, Jack Daniels is a top shelf. Okay, that's about as expensive as I get on whiskey. And I'm drinking old granddad. I, I am a cheap drunk. I am a cheap date. You have way more refined taste. So you're probably, low end for you is what? Cobb? Well, look, Cobb whiskey. here's the thing, Eric. Gentleman I was Jack, working part-time at the sports bottom. animal at this point, so... I mean, what I preferred and what I could afford were two completely different things. So did so did you have a little Evan? So did you have a little Evan Williams there? Oh, I'm sure there was Evan Williams. I'm, I, I, yeah. There's, I mean, I couldn't guarantee it, but I, you know, I can as close to guarantee it as as possible. That that's when that's when Jim Beam, man. When you're that poor, that's when Jim Beam, Jim Beam, and Johnny Walker Black are like yeah, one thousand percent. I had Jim Beam. I can, yeah. If you can get Maker's Mark on that salary, you're yeah. you're, you're doing, you're doing Maker's really was well. was way out of my price range. <laughs> you've been a, you've been a radio producer. I mean, you know what? Oh uh, God, yeah. What that lifestyle what, what is like? Still, why do you think I still drink cheap? <laughs> because I knew the one time I got paid really well, and there was only, there's been only one time in this business that I've gotten paid really well, and it was when we were working together. Um, I I got paid really well, but that had been that came in my twentieth year in radio. And I don't think a lot of people realize that when I got to the franchise, just how long I had been in the business. And that was kind of, I knew that was going to be the pinnacle of my career. So I had a guy negotiate me a really good contract. Even then, I somehow knew in the back of my mind, this is fleeting. Something about this (laughs) doesn't feel like I walked in, it was probably a month into the franchise. When I realized, and I kind of looked around and, and had a conversations with some people outside the building and people that I, I've known in the business for years, um, and particularly just the guy that negotiated my contract, and we both kind of came to the determination, something about this is fleeting, something about this, it, it never felt right. Like, I never felt 100% comfortable working there. There was never a time where I felt entrenched. So... Even then, when I go on like buying sprees for stupid stuff, which I have this tendency to do, even then it was like, okay, I'm still going to eat at the same kind of restaurants that I always normally eat. I'm still going to drink the same kind of beer. I'm never going to let myself delve into that that upper echelon of indulgence. You know, I'm <laughs> not going to just yeah. go out and buy things that, hey, now because I can afford them, I'm going to buy them, I'm still going to try and live as cheap as possible. And my wife will tell me, I like stupid crap like 
she gets me a record player for Valentine's Day, and my only goal is to buy every Beatle album, which I'm, you know, I'm already halfway there, three weeks into this thing. But it's, I think a lot of times in our business, you've got to know when you're entrenched. So yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. In, in this business, you learn to live cheap early, and <laughs> some of us remain cheap. <laughs> remain cheap. No matter, no matter how long we stay in it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Oh man, that uh, that was whew, that was miserable. Golly, Mis- that was the saddest story. Yeah. that that may be the saddest story I've ever heard. I'm glad. Well, I'm I'm glad. Obviously, I'm glad you you survived all that. But yeah, I, I mean, was was there a point where you're sitting in that hotel wondering if you're going to have to move apartment complexes or they're going to let you out of your lease or anything like that? I don't think I worried too much about that by the time I finally got to the hotel. Like, I, I was just so mentally fatigued from, like I said, the the whole being, like, snowed into the radio station for three days, and then everything Where did that they happened, have you sleeping, by the way? Were you sleeping in the jungle room? Yes. Oh, that place is... It, that's got to be uncomfortable. Were you, like, on the stage or on the floor? No, on the floor. It, I had br- Yeah, okay, I brought, so like... The- sleeping like i think i brought like a sleeping bag and several blankets so just kind of made like a pallet on the floor okay so for, so for those who do not know if, if you're listening to this you don't know what the jungle room is one it may be the coolest feature any radio uh conglomerate has ever built it's a, it's a recording studio it's essentially what it is it's a music recording studio where at the time colby and i worked there there were drums um, sit behind some acrylic panels on side of stage. There were amps. There was a back line that, that, that was essentially provided by someone. Uh, there was recording and broadcasting equipment on what we call the other side of the glass for engineers and producers to run. Normally, they just let our engineer, Mike Field, handle all that because it was very expensive equipment. He set it up, and he had had he, he had vast experience in helping bands record, but whenever like, oh, when I was there, like LA Guns and Megadeth, um, Sponge, bands like that would come in, they would sit up and play there. They could play live. It's very cool. It also served as the de facto bedroom when people had to sleep overnight, <laughs> yes. and Colby and Gideon are just two of many people yep. under various circumstances who have spent the night in the, in the jungle room. Like, I can tell you stories of husbands that were there. <laughs> they kicked out of the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was bad. Guys that were working overnight and had to get rides to the station, and that's where they would thats where they would sleep before they would go do their shifts. I mean, it, I don't think that was ever its intended purpose, but... Yeah. It's somehow, it's somehow that's what that, that room became. The, the best part of that three-day stay was that Gideon and I, for entertainment, decided to set up a mini putt-putt course across that entire floor. So what we did is, because the, there was a there were putters and golf balls and a little putting cup uh, in the in the like main area of uh, of that floor. So we gathered all that stuff up and we found this pile of coasters. So basically, we put the coasters all around the entire floor that went like through the sales area, um, down every hallway, 
And basically, you had to putt your ball across the coaster for it to basically be in. And so we set up an entire putt-putt course throughout the entire floor and played rounds of putt-putt golf. That's a good way to pass the time. That, that, no, that's, a cre- that's a creative way to pass the time. That if you end up going into the sales area to do it, there'll be where you're playing all along the sixth floor, like out into the lobby. Oh, yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. yeah, we had holes that would go down a hallway and then like curve around a cubicle. And yeah, it was everywhere. Yeah, it took up the entire floor. <laughs> yeah, somehow our, our old GM, who's, who's no longer there, probably would have been I don't, I don't know. I would like to think that he'd have been proud of you for doing that because he zero, always had a putter. Zero chance. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> most of the time he'd probably grump at you and wonder why you were doing that. Yeah. Wonder why he hired you. Um, I, it's, it's really weird. You think about that guy. I don't think he really ever grasped the idea of how weird people in our business are. For various reasons. I mean, our, our, our business is full of a sociopaths. First thing you should know if you're getting into the, in, in the radio, you're going to run into a lot of sociopaths. And they come in all shapes and sizes, and they greet you with a smile. And when you least expect somebody is a sociopath, that's when they will show you their tendencies. But anyone who's in radio and is on the air, to a certain extent, we're screwed up. We are some screwed up people. I don't think he ever understood that and knew how to deal with just what all the mental issues were for everyone and that yeah no so, there's no doubt about yeah that. he probably would have been like what the hell are you doing if i yeah. found some you know excuse to fire you on but probably best that he didn't find out but that's great that was a fantastic story i mean it, it that that is the that look you've been through a lot in your life knowing you as long as i have you've been you've been through a lot um, and you've been through a lot in the, la- in the last few years, and luckily you've come out on the other side of it really good. But that, I mean, just that, that, that three, four days, let, let's take that seven-day period of your life. Was that the most trying time of your life, or was there another episode, maybe you don't have to always go into detail, that was more, that, that was more trying than that, that put you more to the test mentally? Oh, I don't think that was, that, no, that wasn't the worst. But oh wow, yeah, no, that that was just a. I mean, it was that was a massive inconvenience, and again, I think just simply because I was like exhausted by the time I had left the the radio station, and then ha- ha- like my exhaustion at the level it was when all that happened, I think played a big role in like how frustrated I was with the situation. So, uh, yeah, it was it was not fun, but no, I've I've been yeah. through worse. Well, I guess I, I guess it's good that you can look back on it now. And like you said, in, do, in doing what you do, these are always the things you take with you because they make for great stories. And those <laughs> right. of us that are really good in this business, um, and I believe me, I don't put myself in that category, are always really good storytellers. And that's one hell of a story that you've got there just over that one week of your life. I just remember like telling myself during all that, I'm like, this is going to be a crazy story that's almost unbelievable. Like, I don't, it's, it's just so circumstantial that all of this happened at the same time. Like, it just, uh, it's crazy. It's probably one of those things that in time, it, w- it probably took you 
a good two or three years to really wrap your head around it. You, you had you had to get far removed from it to really understand process and break it down, and then step by step recount what what exactly you were going yeah. through. Yeah, and where, where you can laugh about it now, but it's, at the time it had to be pretty damn traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The best part that no, came out of it was the fact that so I had a I had a small one bedroom apartment, uh, and because they didn't have any other one bedroom apartments in that apartment complex available, they upgraded me to a two bedroom apartment that for the same rent price. So I couldn't afford any better than I had anyway. But I ended up getting you know a, an extra uh, bedroom out of the deal and a bigger you know bigger space, which was really nice. Well, that's good on them. That's good on them. Yeah. That that that's good on them. And what you know, um, hey, good good fortune comes on good people, and, and you were definitely that. And God was looking out for you, and that's fantastic. But I mean, at the time, I can't imagine. I just the, the thing that's so hard to imagine, and yet there are people out there that can identify with you. Looking up at the roof and seeing a hole and water pouring through the roof—that has to be an utterly traumatic mind-blowing experience yeah just to see all that just kind of come down at once that's not that's not normal i mean that, that's not something that that happens every day and, and most people aren't prepared to deal with that and and you dealt with it in flying colors through some extreme conditions so i mean this is one thing you can use for your son you know, when he's bitching, bitching about mowing the yard here in a few years, you pull out this story. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, you know what? I actually, I think somewhere still have either pictures or maybe even video of some of the damages uh, that, that. Oh, wow. That, so I'll, I'll look for them when we get done with this today. I will look for them. And if I can find them, I will, I'll tweet them out. So. Oh, yes. I, if, especially if you've got video of this. Yeah. Yeah, that no. If you've got video, it's it's good. One, I think anybody else that's going through it at least wants to feel that somebody understands what they're going through, and and you've got that, you've got that going for you, and and can sympathize with them. The other thing is, is yeah, I'll admit, I I want to see the video. I want I want to see the damage. It's a train wreck. So yeah. yeah, put it up there. Reality yeah. television. Let's go. I know I have it somewhere. So it's just a matter of of uh, finding it and how long it'll take to find it. But uh, I'm I'm sure I can find it today. So yeah, house, I will. Uh, house husband, house husbands of Quail Springs. Let's get it up there. Come on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, what's on your mind, man? What's happening in the sports world? I told Aaron yesterday when we recorded that uh, that. I, I kind of felt like I was in the dark a little bit as far as, as what was going on at the same time, like without, with football season ending, it's, I mean, if, if you're going to have a, a period of maybe a week where you're a little bit disconnected, this is probably the time. Yeah, it is. Well, I'm, I'm watching NBA TV and seeing Nerland's Noel get dunked on and the Knicks who have had a fabulous year got blown out by the magic last night. And that, that's a little disheartening considering that, things were finally starting to look up in New York and that the Knicks may actually start to matter in basketball again. But without a doubt, the biggest story in sports today is that Fernando Tatis contract. And not so much for the amount, which is $340 million. But at the age of 22, this guy signs a 14-year deal with, of all teams, the San Diego Padres. He's he's 22, so he's going to be 36 
when this year when this deal ends. I understand from the from the Padres standpoint. You the Padres are one of those organizations that a very rarely get superstars. In fact, you go back through that team's history, you can probably name one: Tony Gwynn, um, Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield's another, but Dave Winfield played for the Yankees. He played for the Twins. I mean, he was. Yeah, he started out with the Padres, but I think depending on who you root for, you identify him with, with, with several other teams. So I get it for San Diego's standpoint. Yeah, you want to lock this guy up, but, but there is no history in that organization. And they're a small market that, that ever says they're going to do everything in their power to help Fernando Tatis Jr. win a World Series. So why, why commit yourself to 14? years to when you are under contract in your you know by the time you hit 30 or 29 and you haven't won a world series if that's the way it goes for san diego why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want to get out of that and hit the free agent market so maybe you could end up in boston or new york or you could go up the road to the dodgers or or, or someplace like that it's one of these things that sounds good it sounds warm and fuzzy right now but I guarantee you, when we are, you know, five years into this deal, six years into this deal, we're going to be talking about how bad it, how bad it is for, for both sides. And for him, I mean, for the Padres, $340 million over 14 years, you're eating up a lot of their budget. You're eating up a lot of that team's budget. And they're going to have to, and for them to go out and get free agents, is just not something that they have done throughout their history. So they kind of have all the guys, though. I mean, they spent they spent three hundred million on Manny Machado, ten year three hundred million dollars on Machado. Yeah. Uh, Hosmer got an eight year one hundred forty four million dollar deal. Uh, they signed Darvish. Oh my god! They give Hosmer that. They yeah. give Hosmer what? What yeah, was what, that? Two, was, that, was that two years ago? Yeah, Hosmer eight years yeah. for one forty four. They just brought in Darvish six year deal for one twenty six, I believe, or or maybe they traded. Yeah, they traded for Darvish. And he still has three years left on his deal. Well, I it looks like. corrected, but that's well. But yeah, okay. So Dar- Darvish was under contract for, from the Cubs, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they didn't sign him to that deal. They went out. And he, he's already halfway through that deal. Yeah, so. he's halfway through. So three years left on that deal. Uh, Blake Snell, it looks like, is on a five-year, fifty million dollar deal. They traded for him, and he has three years left on that deal. Uh, let's see. They traded for Clevenger a year ago. He still, I think he he expires after this year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, who else is on that roster? They just brought in um, the is it is he is he the a Japanese player uh, that they spent yeah, a bunch of money did. on? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the roster. I'm looking at the roster right now. I mean, they've got golly, I don't recognize probably any of their outfielders: Trent Grisham, Will Myers, Jorge Anya. Will Myers was an all-star like two years ago. Uh, Trent Grisham was uh, in the running for rookie of the year last year. He was really good. Tommy Pham is uh, up. Yeah. Tommy Pham? Yeah. I mean, they're... They're loaded, man. Uh, who you, are you talking about Kim, the second baseman? Is that the one yeah, you're talking about? Yeah. on Kim? Yeah. Six, that dude is 6'9". Or no, wait, he's 5'9". I thought it was 6'9". I'm like, why is he playing baseball at 6'9"? Why did he... Korean, this, yeah, this. Korean shortstop. Yeah. He's going to play second base for them, but yeah, he's he's supposed to be a superstar. 
Well, I mean, it looks like they've got the depth to compete with the Dodgers. The question is for how long. Yeah. And the other thing is you mentioned those guys who are under contract, like Snell, like you, Darvish. If things don't work out because they're under contract, it makes them a little bit easier to trade. Um, to other teams that may be looking for them. I just, I, I have a, a hard time believing that a small market team won't eventually do a fire sell. Yeah. And I just wonder if that's something that Fernando Tatis is a, if he's all that aware of and B, I mean, do you really want to spend your entire career with, with one team? I mean, San Diego is a nice place to live, but they are the Padres. <laughs> and I mean, when you can, when you can go play, even in California, when you can go play for the Giants or the Dodgers, just I mean, staying in that division, I don't, under, I don't understand why you don't give yourself a, a little bit more freedom if you're him. I mean, that's just a hell of a lot of money to turn down right now. But I mean, spread it out over 14 years. I would think that at the age of 26, whatever, he could certainly make more a year. Oh, um, for sure. On, on who's who's willing to to offer him offer him that kind of deal. So well, you never. I mean, this powered. is this is security number one. You know, you never know what might happen, and and maybe you uh, have some sort of bad injury, and and you never get that big payday. Uh, so so a it's security. B look at the deal that Ronald Acuna just got. What la- was it last off season? He signed an eight year deal for a hundred million. Like. To get 14 years for 340 compared to what Acuna just did, I mean, those guys are are basically kind of at the same point in their career, right? They're both young superstars yeah. that haven't even hit their prime yet. Uh, so he got, I mean, twice, three times as much as Ronald Acuna did on a long-term deal. Uh, and then here's the other thing. For the Padres, this works out long-term because, look, he it, this ends at 36 for Tatis. Just to give you an example of some of these big contracts that that are given to guys after they're in their prime, Albert Pujols is about to make thirty million dollars this year, and he's forty-one years old. Think oh, about, geez. yeah. So, so Tatis is making twenty-five million dollars a year throughout this entire contract, and it's going to end when he's thirty-six. Twenty-five million dollars, fourteen years down the road, may may not be anything. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, well, right? Yeah, and I'll go so far as to say that I'd be surprised if at some point, I'd be surprised if at some point he wasn't traded during this contract. That could happen too, yeah. I, I would, yeah, I, I would think that, that he's probably traded during this contract. I would also think the older he gets on, granted, he plays shortstop. Um, at, at some point he's going to lose his range and you're going to feel like you're, you're probably overpaying for him. I mean, you're, you're going to see his skills diminish over the life of this contract. It just happened. He'll become a third baseman as, or something. Yeah. Yeah. But I also am willing to bet that there's going to be a year, maybe two during this contract, during this 14 year period where they're paying him money and he's just sitting on the bench because of injuries, because that's, happens as you get older no matter how well you take care of yourself there are things you can't control yeah freak accidents happen whatever and it does i mean this this sets you up to for at least just book on if you're the padres you have to save yourself for at least two years we need to just expect that there we just need to just tell ourselves there's probably going to be two seasons that we pay this guy to sit on the bench two full seasons that 
we're paying him and, and we're not getting anything out of him whatsoever because of his injuries. So we just accept that. We get it. We get our superstar. We get our face of the organization, the face of baseball. It's something the Padres have never had. This guy's willing to commit to a small market long term. Like you said, $25 million a year over the life of this contract seems like a hell of a bargain. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Why not? We got it. And with him only making $25 million a year, there's probably somebody that, that'll be willing to take on that contract if we feel like it's too expensive Absolutely. when he's 30 years old. Yeah, I, I think it's a home so, run for both sides. I mean, he doesn't have to wait for what? Is, what is the clock now? Is it like six years? Yeah, he doesn't have to yeah. wait four yeah. more seasons before he gets the giant payday. Uh, they are getting him basically for as long as they want him at at a price that again he's not the highest paid player in baseball. And on the back end of it, I mean, ten years down the road, Eric, twenty five million dollars a year might not be that much. You know, when, when you consider. No the way that these contracts continue to skyrocket. And then, again, when you consider that a guy like Albert Pujols right now is 41 years old and making $30 million, I mean, this I, this is a bargain, I think. It's a great deal for both sides. I, I think that he has the potential to be among the best players in baseball. He's, he's among the best players in baseball today. But the fact that he just turned 22 in January, I mean, this guy has a chance to be, you know, one of those guys that's a premier player in the league for the next decade. Is that is that Albert Pujols contract? Is that the worst contract in sports history? Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be up there. I, I would, the only one I think might be worse is the A Rod contract, just because the Yankees couldn't get out of it once everything hit with with all the with all the PEDs, the performance enhancing enhancing drugs, and the Yankees couldn't null and void that. Um, and when you think about well, there were, I guess there was one year they didn't pay him because he was suspended yeah. for that whole time. But they never really, I mean, that contract became an albatross. I mean, I remember when they signed it, it was like, oh, my God, he, he's going to be a Yankee the rest of his career. Gonna, you know, there, there was a thought that he would you know, challenge Henry Aaron's record. He was the savior of baseball. He was the anti-Barry Bonds. And then that all came crashing down within a matter of weeks. But I would say that's probably the worst contract ever signed in sports, but Pujols has to be close to the second. And I, I remember when that happened, I'm like, good for Albert, bad for the Angels. Yeah. You just knew. It was like, why are you – I mean, I know you want him, but why are you willing to give that guy at this point in his career that many years? Right. And this is where I always loved the COF scene um, philosophy. And why it works, and it works very well in Boston. I think Boston still kind of has has this philosophy, which is they're willing to pay guys. They're just not willing to stake them to an enormous amount of years on that contract. They'll overpay for a short period of time, but they don't want you when you're on the decline. And to me, that is when you're a big market club, that is the the smartest way to run an organization. Absolutely. And it and it feels like. I'm just not really sure the Yankees have fully caught on to that. It still feels like the Yankees have to give guys more years than than what they should to get them to sign. Um, I just thought Beal was brilliant. It's like, yeah, I've I've got the money at my disposal. I can buy whoever I want. But no, when you're on the decline, you're out of here. And if, if I got to trade you, I got to trade you. He was he wasn't the, the thing I always admired about Theo Epstein is he wasn't afraid to trade anybody. 
he wasn't afraid to make a mistake. Right. Um, Edgar Renteria was probably his biggest mistake, I think, during his time as GM at Boston. And I, I never understood why he signed him and got rid of Orlando Cabrera, who was so key in, in 04 when they came back and beat the Yankees and won the World Series. Like, why would you get rid of that guy? Um, and I, I get it. Renteria was an upgrade. He just wasn't a Boston guy. But he wasn't afraid to sign him, make a mistake, and then turn around and trade him. And sometimes you, you've got to be willing to do that as a GM. You have to be willing to make those kind of moves and then turn around and say, all right, it screwed up, but hey, we can recover from it. So I, in my lifetime, I mean, it, it, I know Billy Bean gets a lot of praise for, you know, his fiscal responsibility and, and for everything with sabermetrics. But in my lifetime, I don't think there's been a better GM in baseball than Theo Epstein. And I don't say that lightly. And it's not just because he won with the Red Sox and then turned around and won with the Cubs. It, 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 there's just this thing with big market clubs. They tend to not only overpay, but they tend to extend guys. And he just wasn't going to fall into that trap. Yeah, I just thought he was very, very smart. I mean, smart is, I don't even think smart does him justice. He just, he, he knew all the risk. Everything was so well calculated with him. Wasn't he, um, wasn't he the guy that signed, was it uh, Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford? Both of those guys were in the prime of their career. Both of those guys were all-stars, and it just didn't work out. And like a year later, he shipped them both off, like after signing monster contracts? Yeah. Yeah. He did, in fact. And again, it's that I'll take the risk, I'll make the mistake, but yeah. then again, I'll find someone who wants these guys. And, and that's maybe the other, that may be the biggest thing about him is that your, your mistake, he got people to, to think, okay, well, his mistake won't be my mistake. We'll, we'll take that goal on. And where did he end up sending Gonzalez to? Was it the Dodgers? I think he sent them both to the Dodgers, if I remember right. Yeah, that's right. He did. He did. <laughs> and a good work. Yeah. The Red Sox began a good working relationship with that organization at, the, at that time. But no, those were brilliant moves on his part. It's like, yeah, whatever. I always felt like the Yankees just kind of, because they're the big shots of baseball, like they make it like a Garrett Cole type situation, right? Like Garrett Cole's a free agent. They make it no secret they want Garrett Cole, and they basically look at everybody else and they're like, we're going to get him no matter what, and they drive their own price through the roof, and then anybody that goes there knows that the Yankees are going to pay way more than everybody because they they basically just don't make it a secret that they're just going to outbid anybody that's interested. Well, and and I and it, one that works that works to their detriment, and, and I think a lot of clubs love the fact that they do that because it's like, okay, we know we're not going to get it, but if we can get them to pay more, it leaves them less money to go out and and maybe put people around him. Like if, if the Yankees need a middle reliever or they're wanting to, to shore up something in their outfield, somebody goes and says, "All right, so." So what are they offering right now? All right. Uh, four years, a hundred million dollars. You know what? Do something over 110. Let, let, let's see. Let's see how bad they want him. Let's just, let's, let's go to his agent with this number, this many years. The agent will be smart. Take it. The Yankees will be stupid enough to make a counter offer. And then we'll just drive, we'll drive the price up. We don't really want him. I mean, if we can get him great, but what we really want is to drive have priced up and leave them less money. So they've overpaid for one guy and they've still left themselves with holes that they're going to have to figure out how to fill throughout the season. And I, 
I don't understand. I would have thought that when, when George Steinbrenner got out of the Yankee business right before he passed away, that they would have gotten a little smarter because I never thought Brian Cashman was was a stupid guy. But somehow Cashman, who wants that seems to want to be more fiscally responsible, does not seem to have the control that he needs to inside that organization. It looks like he's making all the all, all the right moves, but I agree with you. It's just like okay. Uh, you know, will pay this much for him, and then they always seem to end up paying more and extending guys. And then just you know, three years later, you're like, why, why, why do we have Jacoby Ellsbury? Right, <laughs> why is he right. still on the roster, and you know, they get guys that, that the people don't want. Um, they pass their prime, the contracts are high, they don't want to pay, so it makes them untradeable. So. Yeah, good on everybody look, else. I mean, everybody's excited about Yankee baseball every year because they have big names. I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it works the other way too. That you know, they they keep the dollars pumped in because they constantly have big names and pinstripes. Yeah, well, and they that 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 was always Steinbrenner's philosophy. He always felt like that that in New York, that's what you had to have because you weren't just competing with the Mets; you were competing with Broadway. You're competing with the Giants. You're competing with the Jets and the Rangers and the, the Islanders and the Knicks. And, and now throw the Nets into the mix. I mean, you're competing with so many different entertainment options that the only way people were going to come see the Yankees is if they had the biggest stars in baseball because throughout their history, that's what they have. You're Mickey Mantle, you're Joe DiMaggio, you're Babe Ruth. That's what people want. And if it meant getting them through free agency and overpaying, and that was going to drive people into Yankee Stadium to come out to the Bronx, especially at night, then he was willing to do it. I mean, he felt like he had to win the back pages. There was no other way that he was going to make money and have a successful business unless he was getting the stars. He just felt like it was, he still, and I'm sure to some extent, his, um, his one son who's still running the team still probably feels that way, that that's, that's what you do to make money. That's what you get to get to have people interested. And much like the Dallas Cowboys, the Yankees will always be the talk of MLB, much like the Dallas Cowboys will always be the talk of the NFL. And the way you do that is just have the biggest names playing for you. Right. It's not always the smartest thing to do, but it, it does keep you, does keep you constantly in the news cycle. I did see that Tim Tebow has decided to retire from baseball. Did he? I thought yeah. I thought he was getting invited to spring training. What's up with that? Yeah, he's uh, said enough is enough. Maybe he just saw that uh, that Tatis contract and just said, you know what? I'm just never getting there. <laughs> he, he probably should. That should have inspired him. Hey, if I can get half that, <laughs> I mean. I, God, I'm surprised. I'm surprised he's retiring from baseball. Well, I guess he goes full-time broadcasting. He's made a heck of a career out of that. Yeah. Um, he's been a whole lot better at that than I thought he was going to be. I thought he'd be pretty vanilla, but he's actually turned out to be really a, a really good analyst. And he's that guy you can, if you're ESPN, you can throw him in front of coaches and players, and they'll let their guard down a little bit because they don't feel like Tim Tebow will burn them. You know, Tim Tebow's not going to ask the hard-hitting question. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. He's, he's going to be like, why did you cheat? Yeah, he's not, I mean, when, when Tim Tebow sits down with Urban Meyer, 
Urban's going to feel comfortable because Tim is never going to ask him about, hey, why did you keep an assistant on your staff that beat his wife? Why didn't you ever report that to right. the cops? Why didn't you do anything <laughs> about that? Why did you hire a racist strength coach? Yeah, that that's, yeah, Tim's not asking those questions. No. No, no chance. Hey, we can get Urban Meyer. How do we get him? Well, he'll only be interviewed by Tim. All right. Well, we'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Coach, remember that time we beat Ole Miss? <laughs> <laughs> What's it like working out? <laughs> uh, what do you do? What do you have in your fridge? That's that's the Tim Tebow that's interview. A, yeah, it's that's just, exactly it. It's just south of watching um, – who is it? Uh, oh, the girl they've got on. They've got on doing the NFL live stuff right now. Uh, Sam Ponder, the, the tall blonde. Uh, no, not um, the, the tall, the, the tall Thompson? blonde girl. She, now that she's Fox, ESPN. Uh, Laura, 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 Laura. Her Laura baseball Rutledge? Yes, yeah. It's just her, his interviews are just south of a Laura Rut or Laura Rutledge interview. I mean. Really, okay, and, and this is another topic. Who are you? The, the thing I always loved about 60 Minutes when I was in journalism school and um, going into this business, the thing I always loved about 60 Minutes is that there were, you did not want, you didn't want Mike Wallace knocking on your door <laughs> right. because you knew you were screwed. Right. Something I mean, bad has happened. And there were, yeah, and you don't want Anderson Cooper knocking on your door right now because. I mean, he's gonna have all the he's gonna have all the questions. Who from ESPN scares you? Who who don't you want? Is it is Shaft the only guy ESPN has right now where if he's interviewing you? Maybe Lisa Salters, where you're thinking, ah, crap, <laughs> I'm in for it. Because it's not Tim Tebow, it's not Rutledge. I'm not even look as much as I like Rachel Nichols. I'm not even sure. She's a tough interview. No. At this point. Maybe maybe Stephen A. Smith, but I feel like most of that is is self serving rather than like actually asking the tough it's more for, you know, his own star to shine, maybe. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's what it is. And you don't see him do interviews. They sit Stephen well, I guess he's doing it now with his new late night show on ESPN plus. Oh, yeah. See, I've not but even seen that, so the, I don't even know what that's like. But the main thing they have him doing is just commentary. Yeah. I mean, honestly, ESPN, ESPN, Fox Sports, they all just kind of pander right now. And I don't even – well, Fox Sports, I think Fox Sports is a fascinating discussion because I'm just not sure – I don't know that I completely understand the content on Fox Sports at this point because when FS1 signed on, I was really excited. I'm like, ooh, here we go. We're going to have a rival to ESPN. It looks like they're going to have some creative programming. And now it's just, it, it, I don't know. It, it's like it's all the same show. Um, yeah. Speak for yourself. Um, speak for yourself. You've got uh, the one with Nick Wright. You've got the you know the, the Skip Bayless show. You've got the Colin Cowherd radio show on it's there. All, I mean, it's all competition for the biggest hot take, right? Like it, it, it just, they got yeah. away from having, I think, just good discussion to, hey, who can who can make an argument around the most outlandish statement that basically can be encapsulated in a tweet 
And then, you know, we're, we're good. Cause it's going to generate a bunch of people being like, Hey, look at what this person said. Yeah. And I guess it's working for them. I mean, if you can go to their yeah. website, I think if you go to Fox sports website, I don't think there's any written content anymore. It's all audio and video. Um, I, that, that, I, I don't know. To me, it's, it's a network that seems, I guess it has an identity, but it feels like it's just kind of, it, it's, it's scaled down or it's kind of a skin and bones network look, looking for, looking for a, a better foundation than, than what it has right now. Because they did have a show like Sports Center, and they decided, well, we're never going to be an ESPN, so we're going to go away with that. And I don't feel like – I always feel like the, the thing about Fox Sports Radio, what made it better than ESPN Radio, A, better personalities, better talent, guys that were a little edgier, a little more outside the box, a, a way more creative shows but somehow that's not coming through on their television. And it just feels like it's something that could be a heck of a lot better than what it is. And I, I get it cost, you know, you're sitting here criticizing right. someone, get it cost a lot of money right now. Sponsorships are, are, are down all over the place, but it, it just kind of feels like they've sort of thrown in the towel. Like this is the cheapest, easiest way to, to run a network. So this is what they're going to do. And like, all right. I mean, if this is what you want, then then go ahead, because it's just not. I don't know. It's not. It, it, it's not what it could be. So, just kind of went off on a tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I'm with you, man. It's uh, I I think all that has just gotten to this point where um, we. You know, there used to be a difference, I think, between sports television and sports radio. And now it's yep. just all kind of the same and you're getting, I, I think a lot of similarities in, in all of the content across the board. And it just kind of feels like with the flagship shows of both of those networks, it's gone to like a competition of who can make the bigger hot take. That's going to, you know, get more traction. Well, and it's like that in political television too. Like I remember when yeah. CNN watched on, I used to watch CNN as a kid. As, as a kid in single digits, I watched CNN um, at noon. I remember we were living in an apartment in Weatherford. We were taking, we were making the transition from Oklahoma to Texas, and my parents had gone back at the Southwestern to, I think, finish up their master's degrees one summer before we moved to Texas. And every day, like at noon, I would turn on CNN because it was like just, it was a news wheel. It was around the clock news, and I was, I don't know why at eight I was fascinated by it, but I was. It could hold my attention. You watch CNN, you watch Fox, you watch MS, watch any of those. It is just commentary. I mean, it's just like, and I don't know if I blame talk radio, sports talk radio for us as consumers going that direction where we want the commentary, we want people's opinions, or if I blame the people running it because that's what their research says, well, this is what people want, we're going to give them, versus maybe dialing that back some and just doing some news. At least ESPN still has Sports Center, but Sports Center doesn't feel like it's their featured program anymore. Right. First take feels like first take feels like the featured program. Get up. Uh get up feels like it's second billing. You've still got um highly questionable around the horn. And I, I still think um Pardon the interruption. I still think it's a really good show. Uh, I mean, of all those shows, it's probably 
still my favorite of the bunch because Kornheiser and Wilbon are two old guys. <laughs> the older they get, the funnier it gets. Um, and there's good chemistry between them, but it, you know, you've got, I guess you've got the NFL, the, the jump, the jump is probably the best show on ESPN right now that has some sort of combination of it, but it's all news filled with opinion. And while that's good, I, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm craving a little bit more analysis. I'm craving a little bit more breakdown. 100%. Than necessarily, yeah. yeah than, than necessarily opinions all the way because, you know, how many different, I mean, there's so many different opinions that, that are out there. I think, I, I always thought your opinion people need to be really featured and minimal, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, because you did give us Kendrick Perkins, and I love it, and I can't get enough of Kendrick Perkins on television right now. I just cannot get enough of him. I'd say he's one of the top three personalities ESPN has at this moment, and he needs to be featured more, but it just, everything is in the direction of, of that of opinion, and, and social media is that way. P- people want their opinions heard. It's it's an interesting discussion. I'm just not sure we're, we're all the better for it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I we just don't have I, I think you know a mixture of it right. That's the problem is it's all it's almost all opinion and very little like you said analysis or breakdown. Um, you know, like there's a breaking news story like Deshaun Watson wants out of of Houston, and then immediately you have like five guys gathered around a table like giving their opinion of what the best landing spot would be instead of like you know breaking down like why we got here. What happened? Um, what Deshaun Watson is seeking? You know, it just it, it feels like it. They just go, they jump from what the headline is straight to all right. Let's let's uh, let's start just giving our opinions on everything. Well, and here's the here's the and thing. I, 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 I feel wonder. like that's right, that's you, also the reason why so much of every story gets lost is because we never really get a full story on anything. We get we get a headline and then we get opinions on what the headline is. Yeah, well, and go and go to Deshaun Watson. For a second, I mean, like you and I spend a lot of time talking about Fernando Tatis. If you are not a San Diego Padres fan or a baseball fan, if you're not a Houston Texans fan, how interested are you in the Deshaun Watson story? If you if you don't think if your team doesn't need him, so to speak, like if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, does that resonate with you? Are, are you are you flipping the channel when ESPN spending twenty minutes on this organization? I mean, I get it when you're in Houston, and that's what sports talk radio is supposed to be. I mean, that's where the opinions come. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just g- give me the give me the story, give me the headlines, give me the breakdown of what Deshaun Watson's saying, and then I can kind of make my own opinion on that. I don't need everybody giving me opinion on that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's uh, I don't know. Somewhere along the way, we just we we went straight to. Uh, you know, ev- ev- like whatever happens, like it just, we immediately go straight to let's get everybody that is available on our network. Let's get their opinion on this topic rather than, yeah. then let's, let's like get all the information on the topic and let's, let's figure out exactly what's going on. And, you know, let's, let's get all the puzzle pieces and then do the opinions. Yeah, that's not, well, and that's the other thing. I mean, there's so much pressure right now especially with social media to be first and have that opinion, which right. is one of the things I didn't like about the last place we worked is there was just that pressure of, 
why don't you have this before everyone else? It's like, well, okay. I was always taught to be right before being first, that it was better to be right than be first. And sometimes proceeding with, proceeding with caution isn't the worst thing in the world. Because the last thing you want to do is put out an, you know, an opinion when you don't have all the facts. Because that makes you look like an asshole when you do that. I mean, it really yeah. does. When, when you go off on an opinion on someone and you don't have all the facts, like you've got maybe three lines of, okay, Bob Stoops is retired. Lincoln Riley's taken over. Okay, have, you know, have an opinion on that immediately. Okay, well, what are all the facts behind Bob Stoops' exactly. Bob Stoops yeah. retirement? Um, and yet, we were getting it crammed down our throat. Be first, be first, be first, beat the animal, beat the animal, beat the animal. It's like, well, why can't we just be right? You know what? And, and you know, your, your, your tweets don't look like Terry's tweets, or your tweets don't look like Eddie's tweets, or whatever. And it's just like... Wow, really? I mean, this this is this is where we've gone. This is where we've gone in the business where being sound, being thorough, um, being well informed don't mean a damn thing anymore. And let's also remember that you know the people you're comparing me to specifically. Um, let's remember these people have been covering OU for. 10 years, five years, they're entrenched. Yeah, I'm two years behind them, and I'm up here every day. I'm not down in Norman. You know, so, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, when I got the job, OU Insider was not on the description, but now all of a sudden it's expected. And I, you know, don't mean to kind of go, you know, personal here, but I mean, those were just some things I'm going through, but I think a lot of people in this business go through that. And, the reason radio stations, smart radio stations, hire insiders is because you can call that insider, have them on the air. They have all the facts. Exactly. They can tell you exactly what's going on. And then you as the host, by asking questions and taking good notes, can then come to give the listener a well-formed, well-thought-out opinion. Um, and I would just say, well, we worked. That was not that was not necessarily the practice. I don't know if you felt that way. I mean, you may not. I mean, you may not. And I don't want to, you know, poison, you know, your your thoughts on that whatsoever. I just kind of felt like that was the whole thing, which there was just way at some point the dam broke and there was a lot of pressure to, to be things that to, to take people out of roles that they weren't necessarily designed for or put them in roles they weren't necessarily designed for. And I feel like that's what's go- a, a lot of times that's what happens in this business. And that's why you see certain people get phased out. Yeah. Not me specifically, but I think, I think other people, I don't know if you felt that way. That's just kind of how I felt going on, on my, on my experience. I think like the show I did, the practice was always like, if there was like, for example, if when Bob Stoops stepped down immediately, like the first thing we did, we led the show with, I, it was either Eddie or like Bob Prisbillo, like giving us the breakdown of like what happened, why it happened, what's going on here. And then following that, then, you know, it was all right, let's, uh, let's put all these puzzle pieces together and give opinions. But I don't, th- we, at least for me, I always immediately when something happened, if it was something inside of 
what we covered or had people covering, we immediately tried to, you know, if the Thunder traded somebody, um, like the first thing we would do is call John Hamm and be like, okay, what is the, like, I don't, I don't understand contracts and the financial uh, stuff. And so we would try to make sense of the parts of it that we didn't understand and get all that stuff figured out. And then we would, you know, off to the races. Yeah. And I worked with, um, two guys, one that hated interviewing people. I don't know what to ask. Um, (laughs) seriously, that was one of my first partner used to always say, I don't don't know what to ask people like, okay, well I'll handle that. And then the other one, again, when you start talking contracts and stuff, uh, we'd always get the speech of, well, why don't you understand contracts? Why, Why don't you know this? Why don't you know that? It's like, why we have John Hamm on. <laughs> and then it's like, well, why aren't you challenging John Hamm on this particular thing? It's like, because he's our guest and I want to treat him nice. And, and I don't know. I, we got a lot. I, me personally, got a lot of contradicting critiques on how to do things. So I was, I, again, I walked around in a perpetual state of, <laughs> uh, state of confusion. Today I walked in, okay, so today it's this, today it's this, today we're this. Oh, my partner spent, you know, three hours listening to Mad Dog Radio. He wants our show to sound like this today. Or his friends told him, I'm not kidding. My first partner, who will remain nameless, I'll never speak this guy's name again. Um, he would talk to friends. He would seriously talk to friends out on the golf course. They would tell him, well, I heard Travers say this. And then he would come back, why aren't we talking about this? Why aren't we doing this? Our, my friends say that Traber does this. We should do this. Or I was listening to Mad Dog Radio, and I don't want to be the goofy guy. I want to sound like this. And there was nothing I could say to be like, don't worry about any of that crap. Just do you. Like, it just, like that was all out the window. <laughs> perpetual, state, perpetual state of confusion with no clear definition. But that's not just me. I think that's a, I think that's a lot in broadcasting now. Yeah. Unless you have somebody in charge who is one hundred percent one hundred percent his convict, he believes one hundred percent his conviction, and has had success doing what he's doing, and knows how to mold people. I mean, the, the best program director in the world understands what people's talents are and helps them maximize that talent. They don't. You need to, at some point, take them out of their comfort zone to see if, if there's other things they can do to help them develop. But if it goes wrong, the worst thing you do is admonish them for it. And then you get them back into their comfort zone, and then maybe you go a different direction. Again, to see, all right, well, can they do this? And then you'll have a pretty good idea a couple of times after you take them out of it, what they are, who they are, and, and how to make that blossom. And this is where I will give ESPN credit. And I tell you what, they do a great job of it, Colby. And and I don't know how they've done it. They understand their female talent better than anybody in the business, even better than than, than the news stations. Um, Rachel Nichols, in particular, I, I think part of it's her. She kind of made her way and got to call her own shot. But to put her in that NBA box and let her flourish through that has been amazing to see what she has done. She's built up a very credible reputation. She is very comfortable. Um, Doris Burke rocks. I mean, I just absolutely love Doris Burke. 
Um, and every time I see her, she just like when I see her at Thunder Games. I mean, she just, I mean, she owns when she walks in her room, she kind of owns it. I mean, she's got that. There's a swagger to her, but there's not like, you know, she doesn't come across as being very arrogant. Man, when she's on the air, she just sits it out of the park. Um, another one I love is Nicole Briscoe because she's like a radio person to me. She lets her, they let her be a mom. They let her as much as they can on sports center. Right. She brings you into her life, right. which is what we're told to do. So they've got it with their female talent. They're letting Kendrick Perkins and Jalen Rose, Jalen Rose, another guy I, I love. He's another guy I can't get enough of, but they've let those people be themselves. And that's all they've done. I mean, I'm sure that there's been coaching, and I'm sure that there has been tweaks here and there, but they don't adjust too much. They don't adjust too much. They know what they have in these in these people, and and they let it go. And like Mike Greenberg, they know they've gotten him, but that is seasoned management who has won over you know several you know several years and knew how to develop someone. Yeah. And that's not that's not always the case in in, in this business. So well, and and um, I think they they know what they want. That's that's the biggest yeah. issue is they know what they want. They know what they want to be, and they know exactly what their end goal looks like. So you know there aren't a bunch of exits on their highway to success. I mean, they are they see what their goal is, and there's no confusion in any way in any direction as to you know, which way they're going to go on any given day. Like you, like you were kind of speaking to. Yeah. And, and they're not, again, they're not afraid to make mistakes. Uh, they did it with the Jamel Hill and the Michael Smith show, which unfortunately didn't work out well for, you know, either one of them, but they you know, both been lucky enough and are established enough to land on their feet. But like you say, when you've got that clear definition of this is what we are, you go do it. But when you keep changing that, then you can never, you can never have that that clear balance. Or when you misunderstand what people want, you yep. can't have that clear balance. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, NBA All Star Weekend. Before we we run, uh, what do you think about this thing? Does it, is this just bad idea? Setting up for failure. Oh, bad idea. Yes. <laughs> um, the players don't want to be there this year. Um, fans can't and shouldn't be there this year. By the way, kudos. Kudos to the mayor of Atlanta for telling people to stay away from her city in, in a pandemic. Uh, unlike the governor of Oklahoma, where if it was here, he'd be inviting he'd, he'd be inviting everybody to come to Oklahoma City for the All Star Game, even though they couldn't get in the building. Um, difference between smart politicians and dumb politicians. Um, but <laughs> I'll say that I played I played high school football <laughs> with the guy. I'll talk bad about him. Care? Did you really? It, yeah, yeah, and he'll never be Governor Sid. He'll just always be Kevin to me. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> what up? Dude, no, I saw you drop a pass in practice. I, you were starting defensive end, dude, whatever. You were a goof. I know what you look like naked. Get out of my face. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so I'll, 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 I'll rag on the guy. I don't care. I'll rag on him to his face. You know, maybe not so much a pre. Well, no, I'd probably do it to presidents now just because I just do not give a damn um, at this point in my life. But uh, kudos to her for telling people to stay out. LeBron, everybody's spoken out about it. They don't want to do it. You can't. 
you, you can't do your normal three point contest. You're not doing a dunk contest at halftime, and it just it feels like the NBA is just forcing players into a situation they don't want to be in when maybe the best thing to do is just give them the time off, let the body rest, let them get healthy because for the rest of the year, you're not going back into a bubble the way you did last summer. So just let them get healthy, let them do what they need to do to take care of their body and give us a good product for the rest of the season, which, I mean, this year, hey, under all the circumstances, the NBA has been just as fun as it is any time of year. Offense is up a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but, hey, I don't mind that. It's fun. The, I love the I love a high-scoring NBA um, when people like Lou Dork can shine as, as defensive stars. So it, just, it seems like a bad idea. And I don't criticize Adam Silver often because I really do believe he's the best commissioner in sports, but this Agreed. is a mistake on, on his part. This is a major mistake on his part. And I also think he missed out on a really good conversation with the national anthem when the Mavericks were playing it. And just the man that everybody play it without sitting down and having the conversation with Mark Cuban as to why he didn't do it. What do the players think about it? What do the rest of the governors think about it? It just, these are two mistakes that, that he's made, which I think over, you know, over his tenure here, which hasn't been very long in the NBA, that's it. Those are the only two mistakes I can think he's really made as commissioner. So that's still a pretty damn good track record. Yeah, still a lot of still a lot of mad, mad respect for for Adam Silver I, in I the th- NBA. I completely agree. I, I, the Kevin Durant stuff and and his contract, like the whole way that that went down when they were doing the contact tracing, and then he's able to play, and then he's not. And like you're thinking, like you have to go to this extreme to get a guy to maybe be able to play, maybe not. Like, why are you go why are you doing this all-star weekend when you have all these protocols in place? I'm sure you saw the release of the protocols for Atlanta, the release for the protocols for players that want to return home and spend uh, any part of their all-star break working out in in team facilities. I think everything just requires so much more work, so much more time. I don't know if you listen to JJ Reddick's podcast at all, but he talks about like just the amount of time now. It, it, you have to you have to go twice as early to the the team facility on a daily basis so you can get tested, and then you wait in your car for an hour, and then they give you the green light, and then you come in, and then you have to like like it's just it, it's it's so much more than your standard situation. To me, it's just like give everybody a break, like just just take a week yeah. off instead of doing some sort of stupid all star thing. Just take a week off. Let everybody just be with their families, have a little break from the monotony of the testing and just everything they have to go through and then reboot it a week later. No, that, that, that would be perfect. That would be, that would be the best way. That would be the best way to go about doing it. And golly, I mean, just, just to, what you have to go through just to play a season and now you want to do an all-star game on top of it. At some point, you just got to count. At some point, you just got to, Take your wins. Take your win. Take your wins when when you can get them. Right. And if you can't, if you can't really do that right now, if you're the, you know, if you're the NBA, then I mean, this just really comes down to money. And, and if it's about players getting extra money or they're getting extra money for the TV contract, um, and you're worried about where the salary cap is going to be next year and all that, I, I somewhat understand it. I'm just not sure it's good enough reason to put 
to put everybody in danger. And I, I would imagine Quinn Snyder, who's been named the Western Conference, you know, the, the, the Western Conference All Star coach. I'm, I'm almost sure he doesn't want to want to go through this. I wouldn't think. Imagine, I mean, this league is built on superstars. You mentioned the financial aspect. Imagine if, you know, Kevin Durant and LeBron James and Luka Doncic and uh, Damian Lillard are all in the same locker room and somebody tests positive and then all those guys have to sit out for over a week when the season resumes. Like, can you you imagine the backlash to, to having that many superstars missing regular season games at the same time? Well, and what if that affects your playoff seating? And what if somehow yeah. you end up, you were seven, and then you end up eight, nine, which is going to have a play-in game, and, or you're eight, and you end up nine, ten, which is going to have a play-in game because some, one, one, your best player was out for a week. Yeah. I And and not only, here's something I don't understand real quick, Colby. If you're in that nine, ten play-in game, and you don't make the playoffs, are you Still in the lottery, or does that count that you made the playoffs because you were in that nine ten game? I have not found that anywhere, not on the NBA oh. media website. I have not gotten. Um, I've, I've texted a couple of people at the Thunder, have not gotten any confirmation on that. I don't know how that works. I don't know if that counts as a playoff appearance or not. If you're in the nine, I would game. say if you have the opportunity to play for a spot in a series, then you're a play that makes you a playoff team, and losing that shouldn't give you the same opportunity as the team that had the worst record in the NBA to get lottery balls. I would think, I would think so, but I'm not 100% certain on any of that. So I, I don't know that that was all. Again, I don't know why you're doing the play in games this year. It's not like you're down in a bubble. You're, you're playing, you're only 10 games away from what a regular season would be. I'm not sure why anybody ag- agreed to this. This that that was that to me was very that to me didn't make a whole lot of sense. But a lot of this, but a lot of the last twelve months doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Does the so, NBA regular yeah. season again when you when you consider the expansion now? I just I feel like the NBA season is so meaningless. I mean we're we're at this point where we have what now twenty teams. Twenty of the thirty teams are going to have. A, a playoff type scenario? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's you're you're yeah, you're right. I, I think it does make it meaningless, and that was the one thing about the NBA regular season. I felt like even through eighty two games, it wasn't completely meaningless because you know one two games make a difference on on your seating, and with only sixteen teams making the playoffs, it, it did feel like, especially if you were where the Thunder are this year. Like every game, every night, it felt like there was at least something at stake. Yeah, I, I think you you've made it meaningless by doing this. I, I don't I don't like that at all. I, I don't understand. It's one of those things that I, I don't comprehend going through an 80, 82 game season if teams below five hundred can have an opportunity at the postseason. Yeah, that I don't understand at all. Yeah, and I, I would hope at some point the NBA just does away with conference and we get the best sixteen teams in the playoffs regardless of where they're located geographically, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. I brought this up on the podcast yesterday, uh, but I want to get your opinion on it real quick before I let you run. Um, well, actually, we, we are about out of time. I'll, I'll, how about I'll, I'll bring this up next week, and uh, and we'll do it then. Okay. 
that that worked. <laughs> that worked. I just I just saw the clock as I was about to say that, and I was like, okay, yeah, we gotta we gotta <laughs> cut it off. So uh, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, we'll do that next week though, and uh, yeah, we'll do a lot of NBA stuff because I've, I've there's a bunch of I wanted to talk about. So we'll uh, we'll we'll hit the NBA next week. I know that's the best part of this podcast was hearing your story about your apartment. <laughs> so I, 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 I really honestly think that was the best part of this podcast. All right, man. Thanks a lot for having me. Always appreciate it, my friend. Have a good one. You too. That is Eric G from the Tulsa Sports Animal joining me on the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. I'm a customer at Artisan Botanicals. I know the ownership. I know the staff. They're great people, and they are dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have a question about any of these products and how they can benefit you, don't hesitate to give them a call. 405 458 96 Nine nine. It's all about educating yourself. Uh, so again, don't don't feel like you can't ask questions or don't feel like there is a stupid question. They're more than happy to help. And right now, we're saving you fifteen percent off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show. C O L B Y S H O W. Discount code Colby Show for fifteen percent off your online order at abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody have a great day. Stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Podcast is over.